And I'm going to share both of both titles, and then we can maybe together choose the correct title afterwards, because I, I'm not sure. Uh, the one is The War for Your Soul, the one title, and the other title is The Cost of Your Soul. Um, so I'm not, sure what, I'm not sure which one yet is the, is the correct title. Uh, last Sunday, I heard the Lord ask this question, in whose hand is your soul? And the Lord is asking that to me and to you, even as people who, who profess to be born-again Christian believers. God is asking, in whose hand is your soul? To whom do you belong? Because I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 16 years old, which is now a couple of years back, 17 or whatever years ago. But if I... Yeah, I'm still a young man. <laughs> if I, yeah, let's not go there. I'm still a young man. I see the, some of the older people. Look, yeah, look at how young he is. <laughs> but I'm not standing here today because, yes, I am, but I'm not standing here today because 17 years ago I gave my life to the Lord. You and I, we cannot say we are simply a believer or a Christian because we remember that somewhere in our history there was a day where we responded to Jesus and the gospel. The question is, today, do you call on His name? Vandaag. Are you hearing His voice today? Do you know Him today? Are you walking uh, hand in hand with Jesus, your Lord and your Savior, today. And so I want to talk about the war for your soul. Um, I don't know if you've ever, who of you have heard of a, a, a well-known book called The Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody? I think it's apparently in the top five all-time books ever sold. It's written by a guy called John Bunyan. It's probably probably one of the best Christian books that you can read, um, and, and I would give the liberty to anyone, to, I, I would say read it. The Pilgrim's Progress is about this, this man called Christian, or he, uh, um, and one day he realized that the city that he's in, is the, it's the city of destruction, and he was in this place of sorrow, and like, what do I do? An event, and, a, and a guy or character called Evangelist came by. And Evangelist said, pointed him in the right direction. And so this guy, Christian, set out on this journey to the city of Jesus, to the city of God, the kingdom of God. And, and the Pilgrim's Progress is about this man, about all the characters that he meets on the way. And it's really, it's an allegory of, of the Christian life, the Christian walk. And, and as I'm standing here today, that's kind of what I want us to know and understand, that salvation is not an event, it's a journey. I was saved 17 years ago, but today I am being saved. But one day I will be saved if I remain in Jesus. That's a big if. We don't like the if. In Afrikaans say ons gered en geraam. Like, chosen, frozen. One day I'm saved, and because I, yeah, I get up school, I gave my life to God, I went through, I did the right thing, I got baptized, or I went through this, and I did that. I'm a Christian because 
that's, that's what I kind of did somewhere in my life. But the question is, today, do you know your Lord and Savior? Are you, are you walking intimately with Him? Because His desire for you and for me is to walk intimately with Him, to know Him, to walk hand in hand with Him, to know His voice, to, to hear His voice in the morning when you wake up, during the day, to feel His Spirit prompting and breathing into you. And at night when you close your eyes, you can close your eyes in peace, knowing that my God is with me and I'm, I know Him. And so, but salvation is a journey. And I want to talk about that journey a little bit because if you, if you go read the Pilgrim's Progress, you, Christian, this character, he's on this journey to, this, to the um, celestial city. But on the journey, there are massive challenges. <laughs> massive challenges. There's hurdles and there are characters that, that, that Christian meets on the journey. Characters like, um, like laziness and, and slumber. Characters that... that um, that wants Christian to lose sight of the road that leads to the celestial city. And so that's what, what I mean with the war, the war um, for your soul. You, you might be a Christian, like I'm a Christian, but even today still, there is a war for my soul. The devil doesn't like it that I'm on the, the narrow path. And actually the Bible actually says that the road that leads to life is a narrow road. And f- it's a <laughs> stay on the path. <laughs> the road that leads to the celestial city, the path na paradise, is a narrow road. And the Bible says that those who find the narrow road or stay on the narrow road are few. There are characters that Christian meets that walks with him for a little while. And when some difficulty happens or some challenge arises or they become fearful, some of these characters abandon him. It's easy to start this road. It's harder to finish this road. But if you and I want to to spend eternity with Jesus in the celestial city, the call for you and me is to remain on the narrow road. And I want to talk about that because that's about, there's a war for your soul. Jesus is, is calling you, my, my son, my daughter, remain faithful, abide in me, listen to my commandments, obey my word, stay on the narrow word. But if you're human like me, you also feel daily that there's an enemy that, that's trying to lure you off of this narrow road and wanting you to, to fall away, wanting you to lose sight of Jesus. The thing about Jesus is there's no neutral ground. Jesus, uh, someone mentioned about AJ being like a, a T-junction. But you see, that's, that's a good thing because that's kind of what Jesus does. Is he, he brings you and me into a T-junction. It's either left or right. It's a train station. One train's going that way and the other train's going that way. And so if you, an encounter with Jesus brings about a war of the soul. Am I going to 
let go of myself? Am, am I going to deny myself and, and say yes to my master, say yes to my Lord and my Savior? Or am I going to try and preserve my life as much as I can, but deny my Savior, deny my Lord and my master? There's a war for your soul. I want to read you a, a C.S. Lewis quote, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, where he says, um, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, Jesus brings you, when you come on the, you're either on the narrow road or you're not. But the one thing that Jesus does is he, he, he does not allow for us to, to hang on to the world, but also hang on to him. You must make your choice. And, and, and there's an urgency in my spirit for us to consider Jesus and to make that choice. We live, last week I said, but we, we live in a culture that is, in a sense, saturated with Christianity. I grew, up as a, I grew up as a Christian. I called myself a Christian for 16 years, but there was no reality in my life to Jesus being my Lord and my Savior. And we are surrounded in a Christian culture who, 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 who says Jesus is Lord, but there's no reality to that personally in people's lives. And this morning, I want to ask you that question. Is Jesus your reality? Is Jesus your reality? Is He your Lord and your Savior? Are you on the narrow road? If, if, if suddenly right now the trumpet blew and we just all knew He's here, He's coming back, would your first response be excitement or terror? Because the Bible says that those who are His children long for His return. If there's, a bit, if there's a part in you that says, if I hear the trumpet sound now and He's coming back now, and there's a little bit of you that says, man, I'm not sure if I'm ready, then that means you need to make right with God. That means you, you might be slightly losing sight of the narrow road. And I want to show you uh, two examples uh, in Scripture of two people that had an encounter with God, with Jesus, in, when Jesus walked the earth. And I want to show you that the, there are two people, there are more, there are many more, but I want to focus on two people who, who uh, lost, in a sense, the war for their souls. Or they did not take into account the cost of their souls. And the first one is the, the rich young ruler. And I'm going to read Luke 18, verse 18 to 24. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit it, eternal life? Jesus said to him, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You, knew the, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. So what we see here is a young man that's outstanding in his character and in his behavior. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. And the young man actually knew that there was something missing. If, if, he, if, if something was not missing, he would not have come to Jesus and asked the question. He knew something was still missing. He's done all the right things, but the, the, something at the core of it is still wrong. And, and Jesus said, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You see, we almost had 13 disciples. Jesus almost had 13 disciples. Jesus isn't stuck on the number 12 because he said, he offered this young man to become a disciple. Come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I want to talk a little bit about wealth, but I also want to talk about wealth was the one thing in this young man's heart that he was not willing to, to, to abandon. Jesus said, come follow me. But, and, and Jesus, you see, Jesus is all-knowing. All-knowing. Jesus knows you better than you. Amen? He, it actually says he knows the hair on your head. <laughs> Jesus knows you. And he knows Jesus is able to see the thing in your heart that is causing you to abandon him. You see, every single person that's sitting here today, there's something in your heart that, that, that lures you away from following Jesus. For the rich young man, it was wealth. It was money. It was his riches. It was his treasure. What is it for you? What is the thing that, that you can identify that is the one thing in your heart that you say, God, do not ask me to give this up. I cannot give it up. Moms and parents, it might be like Philip said earlier too. It might be your children. It might be your work. It might be your spouse. What is the one thing in your, that you just like, Lord, please do not ask me to give this up? Is it maybe a relationship? Because Jesus is able, Jesus is able to, to, to help you see what it is in your heart that's causing you not to wholeheartedly follow after him. And Jesus says, are you willing, are you willing to come to me? Bend, like Allegra said, are you willing to bend to me? Are you willing to let go of the very thing that you think you should be hanging on to, holding on to? And let's not pretend it's going to be easy if God would come in here now and ask you to, to let go of that. I mean, what would I do if Jesus walked in here right now and he said, Christopher, come and follow me. But Lord, you said I must lead these people, this church. I'm busy leading what you ask me to do. Jesus says, come and follow me. 
Lord, my, my, what about my wife and my children? You, you made me a father. You made me a husband. Jesus says, come and follow me. I'm not saying he's, he's going to ask me to abandon my family or this church or anything like that. But in my heart, in my heart, do I cherish him above all else? Like Philip said, is he my first love? Is he your first love? But the, the one example in Scripture that does, that does seem to be a hindrance for us to following the Lord or has the potential to be a massive hindrance is money, is wealth. Now, we all I had a conversation with, with a guy. He's not here this morning. With a guy in our church this week, and, and we talked about, he, he asked me questions about last Sunday. But, but Christopher, I must, I, I must make, yeah, we, we do need money because we, with money we buy food, and with money we, we, we live, and with, we, we need money. We can't go without money. And never does Jesus address money as the problem. He addresses the love of money as the problem. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, It's the love of money which is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money. And I, I think the thing about the thing about the love of money, the thing about riches and treasure is, is probably... All of us sitting in here, there's probably no one in here, including myself, there's none of us that think we are rich. <laughs> That's the problem with money, with wealth. But let me tell you, you are in the 90 plus percent richest people on the earth. Because the earth is actually covered in property. Ach, in poverty. And property. <laughs> I'm a poet, I didn't even know it. <laughs> You see, we, 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 we set ourselves on this course. I'm going to make money. I'm going to live comfortably. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to make money. I'm going to live comfortably. When I'm 70, I'm going to buy myself a house at the sea. Or I'm going to have enough money to retire and live comfortably. But let me tell you, you and I, we are not called to a comfortable life. We are called to be disciples of Jesus, the one true living God. And he might tell you, he might tell you, go, go and retire at Straysby at the sea where, this, where it's really nice. But if he's doing that, he's saying, I'm sending you there as a missionary. Or he might say to you, let go of your dreams and follow me. I, I can't tell you what it is, but, but let me tell you, Living for a nice retirement is not a worthy call to live for. What is a worthy call to live for is to say, Lord, till my very last breath, I give my life to, to spread the gospel. I give my life to see the kingdom of God advance. I live my life to see the glory of God spread the earth. My life is for the glory of God. The rich young man, there was a war for his soul. He didn't realize the cost of his soul. He saw that which was temporary, that which was in the now, as more precious to that which is eternally of value. What do you prize? What is your prized possession? Is it something that's temporary? That has, that it's a glory that fades, like, like David says in Psalms. Uh, I think it's David that's in Psalms. The flower 
it flowers, but tomorrow the grass withers. It's gone. Your treasures will know, your, your treasure you will not take with you. The only thing that you, that you get to take to heaven is that which you've actually given to God. A life surrendered, a life laid down saying, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I give my life because I'm on the narrow road. I belong to you. My soul is in the hands of Jesus, my master. A cool thing I read this week, Jude 1 verse 1. It's a preach for another time, but quickly, Jude 1 verse 1. Jude says, Jude, a servant, a servant of Jesus and brother of James. That's how he introduces himself. But did you know that Jude is also Jesus' brother and James? But he says, he calls himself, he how does he identify himself? He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus and brother of James. He could have said, and he would have been right to say, Jude, brother of Jesus. Like, look at me a little bit. No. I'm a servant. He's my brother, but I'm his servant. I'm a servant of Jesus. And the second, the second person that we meet uh, or that's in my preach today, there are many others. But the second guy I want to look at is a guy with the name Pilate, Pilatus. And we can see in Pilate, there's a war in his soul that's going on. His wife even has a dream of this Jesus, that, that, that Pilate should not kill this man. His wife had a dream. And so let's read John 19, verse 12 to 16. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. If you can read about Pilate, you'll read about, at one point he, he, he's having this conversation with Jesus and he asked Jesus, what is truth? What is waarheid? What is truth? And so there's this war inside of Pilate. He's longing for something that's real and true. But at the same time, Jesus, the answer that he's looking for, the one who is the embodiment of truth, is sitting in front of him, having a conversation with him. Imagine that. And Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And at the end of the day, Pilate could not let go of his connection to the world. His status in his society, his, his friendship, call it with the world. Pilate was not willing to let that go. So Pilate today, I, 
I don't know, but I, I don't think, and the Bible doesn't give us the idea that one day we'll be seeing Pilate in eternity. Or at least in heaven. I don't want to assume even that everyone here would be going to heaven because that's what this preach is about. Are you on the narrow road? Are you on the narrow road? James 4 verse 4, James, the other brother of Jesus says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity means you're an enemy. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It makes me think of the parable of the sower, these two people. The one was a friend of the world and the other was a young man who had many riches. And maybe they even go together. But it makes me think of Matthew 13, 22, the parable of the sower where Jesus says, uh, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. The young man, he heard the word. And he heard it from the mouth of Jesus himself. Not some random preacher like a guy called Christopher. <laughs> from Jesus himself. Pilate heard from Jesus himself. This Jesus is the true one. He is God. So they heard the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You see, for me, when I got born again, I was still a young man. I was still 16 years old in high school, like a really young man. I'm still young, but then I was like a really young man. You see, when I grew up, the one thing that, that kind of, and I, I don't know why, but kind of the one thing that got like important to me was my, like my standing in society. And I, I'm probably as a, young, as, a young, as a young boy in high, primary school, and you, you like, it really, it becomes important who you find yourself to be associated with. I wanted to be cool with the cool kids. And then I went to high school, and, and, and there's this war going on where you, you want to find yourself, you, yeah, you, I, want to be, I want to be important, I want to be noticed, I want to be like the cool guy, the cool kid, and the, the one thing I did, I, I could buy a drink, I drank a lot of alcohol because, because that got people talking about me, Christopher is the one who drinks a lot, that was when I was 15 years old. But when I was 16 years old, I, I heard the gospel, not, probably not for the first time, but I heard the gospel, and the word of truth pierced my heart. And I surrendered my life. I said, God, here I am. Yes, I grew up a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. But at the age of 16 years old, I surrendered my life, and I said, God, here I am. I give my life to you. I no longer live for myself. And since that day, and even until now, God is still busy trying to get that thing out of me. <laughs> that thing of wanting to be seen, wanting to be noticed, wanting, pe wanting the affirmation of people, wanting people to come to me after the preach. Christopher, wow, you Yo, really moved me with that preach. I have to put that thing to death every day because there's a war for my soul. I want self-glory. I want self-glory. I'm being honest with you. But the gospel, and Jesus says, no, I will not share my glory. 
I will not share my glory. So every day is a war for me. There's a war for my soul to lay down my life, to, to bow the knee before my Lord and my Savior. And just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean it happens, auto, doesn't mean it happens automatically. Every day I have to crucify myself. I have to take up my cross. I have to deny myself. Like Matthew 16, verse 24 and 28 says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You see, Jesus is able today, in this moment, to look into your heart. I cannot. By the mere fact that you are here this morning in church, tells me, at least makes me think that, that your soul is surrendered. But actually, I have no ability to look inside your soul. Only God, only the Holy Spirit can look into your soul and can see where the allegiance of your soul lies. Is your allegiance to God or is it to the world or to hang on to whatever it is that the world has given you? You see, I, I can just look at the external faces sitting here, but actually Jesus is searching hearts this morning. The Holy Spirit is searching every heart and he's testing every heart and he's saying, and he's looking, what is in your heart? Who is your master. Let me continue reading. For what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person, person according to what he has done. One thing that I've learned being a Christian, not just, never mind, a pastor or a minister, whatever. I'm not a pastor. I'm just Christopher. But one thing I have learned in, in, in what, one thing I've learned is this, that Christopher never assume someone is right with God. Never assume. Don't think because that guy's face is every Sunday in church. Don't assume he's right with God because you can see the external but God looks to the heart. And so that's the question. Is your heart right with God today? Is your heart right with God? Are you on the narrow path? Is He your Lord and your Master? Are you His servant? And what is it maybe that God is saying, as long as you hang on to that, you cannot walk till the end of this narrow road. You have to let go of that. And for me, for me, it is this thing of self-glory, of wanting to rise, wanting to rise. God showed me this a few years ago where I, I had to severely, and it was, I'm telling you, it was painful. It was a painful journey. It was a painful process. It's a, it's a painful thing when, when God points out an area of your life that you know like you need to, you need to, you need to let go of it. You need to change. You need to repent. It's a painful thing, but God does it. 
Because he's got, he's got your eternity, my eternity in mind. God says, I'm okay to inflict a little bit of pain in the here and the now. Because I've got your eternity on my heart and my mind. 